dairy farmer, John Huber, found a man in his driveway, in his pickup truck. Now, when he first saw the man there, he thought the man was intoxicated. He thought he was drunk by the way he was acting. He was in a lot of pain, disoriented. And then the man held up his left leg, which was covered in blood. And the man yelled through the pain, help me, I'm bleeding to death. Donald Wyman, who was 37 at the time, had found himself trapped under a tree as he was clearing off property with his bulldozer in a remote location in Pennsylvania. And he lay there for over an hour screaming for help. And then he decided to make the decision to pull out his pocket knife and carve off his leg that had been mostly snapped into under the tree. And so with a seven-inch blade of his pocket knife, Wyman was able to cut through skin, muscle, tendons, nerves, and blood vessels, and saw what was left of his bone off so he could escape the tree. He then made a tourniquet out of his shoelaces and a wrench and then drug himself 40 yards to his bulldozer. He drove the bulldozer to his truck and then drove a truck with a manual transmission somehow to the Huber's farm who then got him to the hospital. And when he was asked by reporters, how in the world did you do that? What, what gave you the strength to do that? And he said, it was a life and death situation and I chose life. It was my life that caused me to do that. Survival. And when we get to Mark chapter 9. Jesus is teaching his disciples that the root of sin, which is pride, thinking yourself to be great, is a life and death situation. In Mark chapter 9, he's teaching his disciples pride isn't a personality quirk. See, we often think about people who are prideful and we say that's just their personality. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not your personality. It is the heart and root of grievous sin in your life. And Jesus warns us today that it is a life and death situation. The pride in your heart presents the choice between heaven and hell. It is that serious. Pride isn't to be something looked over. It is life and death. And the question today is, are you willing to saw off the pride in your life? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get away from your greatness? To saw it off? To crawl away from it? To look for help to get away from it and be saved from your pride. And we've seen this in the most 
audacious ways in Mark chapter 9. The disciples' pride. Remember, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I mean, he turned over by the religious leaders there and be humiliated, beaten, and I'm going to be killed and then raised on the third day. And as he is saying that, his disciples are in the back talking about, well, I wonder what position I'm going to have in the kingdom. You know, I've done a lot of good on these mission trips. I think Jesus is going to make me his right-hand guy in the kingdom. I, I love Jesus more than anybody. So so I'm going to have an important place in the kingdom. All the while, Jesus is talking about being humiliated and dying. And the disciples are arguing, debating about which of them is the greatest. We see their pride. We saw when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain as his glory was displayed. And Peter, James and John, they saw it clearly. This is the one who has the most weight and glory and power in the world. They come off of the mountain and the disciples are trying to cast out demons by their own power. And we are to position those two stories in opposition, in contrast. Here is the most powerful being in the cosmos. And then here are these little piddly disciples trying to do his work by their own power. It doesn't make any sense. They think they are great. And last week, Jesus told them, you're just little kids, and I'm going to have to hold you up in the world to proclaim the gospel. And then immediately, John says, and guess what, Jesus? There was another guy preaching the gospel, and we stopped him because he wasn't with us. And Jesus says, you still don't get it. This ain't about you. This is about me. And if someone is proclaiming my gospel, why would you stop him? It is about my greatness, my glory, not your brand, not your style, not your group. So the disciples think they are great. And so in our text today, with the fire of hell, Jesus rebukes their greatness again. Notice verse 42. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's as if Jesus gets to a point with his disciples and says, "Okay, look me in the eyes and I'm going to have to spell this out very clearly with horrific graphic detail. You still don't understand your pride. You still don't understand how great you think you are. And he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Now we go back to the last story. The man who is casting out demons and preaching the kingdom. And the disciples have called him to stop doing it. And Jesus says, be careful what you're doing. If this is a man preaching the gospel, declaring, making me great, why would you stop him? Well, the reason you would stop him is you think you're great and you think it's about you. And so be careful if you hinder the gospel because of your pride and you lead someone away to sin. The word means to stumble. It means to be trapped. You trap someone with your pride and they miss the kingdom because you think it's all about you. Let me put it this way. If that's the way you're going to do things, it would be better for you to tie a millstone. This was these massive stones weighed tons. Downtown Richmond, you can drive through and you see the little millstone park. Be better for you to tie one of those around your neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea. 
They go, whoa, Jesus, is that Jesus teaching suicide? He is teaching to be prideful is spiritual suicide. And it would be better for you to just shut up and stop existing than to think you're greater than me. That's the kind of sin Jesus is warning his disciples of. And we think, who, who is he talking about here? And, and a lot of people interpret this and, and come to the conclusions. Well, he's talking about Rome that will oppose the church. He's talking about the Jewish leaders who will oppose Jesus. He's talking about the world who will oppose Christians. No, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, you can't be guilty of the sin of thinking you are greater than me. You. You are the one who are at risk of this. And we've seen that. Their competition to be great has caused them to miss the cross. Their competition to be first has called them to squash the preaching of the gospel. They think they're great. And he says, be careful. Do not lead others into the same sin of greatness. Do not lead them astray by your pride. Pride is not a personality quirk. It is a personal sin against Jesus. And he's on assault. He's not going to let it happen even with his disciples. And we can't allow it to happen in our lives. A lot of times in the church, pride begins to surface because we think this movement called the church mission, I can make it happen by my own power. I've got skill. I've got technique. I've got wisdom to kind of manipulate the move of the spirit. And I can motivate people to do what I want them to do in Jesus' name. And pride begins to well up in our lives in so many ways. And Jesus, Jesus rebukes that. He says, this isn't about your wisdom, your skill on the mission. This is not about your visibility. And one of the dangers, even for the disciples, they're going to be the first out in front of this mission. And he says, be careful that you do not become prideful. And with very graphic language, this is how serious Jesus is about pride in our own hearts. It would be better for you to die than oppose me thinking you're great. That's what Jesus says. And so we must guard our hearts from pride because it is, an, uh, it is opposing Jesus. Pride says it is about my power. Pride says it is about my fame. And we as a church must protect ourselves from that. We must protect our leaders from that. We must guard our hearts against it. Why? Because when pride wells up within us and we begin to think we are great, we are opposing Jesus and Jesus hates it. And Jesus will destroy it. And if you are familiar with anything going on in the church world, evangelicals, you can see Jesus is exposing a lot of fake and prideful leadership across the board. Think about the leaders over just the last year. Some of them died, and then after they're dead, their legacy is ruined. Why? Because Jesus says, I will not allow you to think you're great. This is about me. And this is how serious he is about it. Notice verse 43. 
And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Now here, Jesus positions heaven and hell against each other. And he talks about heaven as entering life, which is eternal life. He talks about heaven as the kingdom, which is Jesus' rule that has come into the world in his person and that will come forever. That this is the kingdom that we are entering in when we follow Jesus. And he talks about hell here throughout this whole section, this this place of separation from God. But notice how it's described here, unquenchable fire. It is fire that will never be stopped. This is how much God hates our pride. Notice verse 45. And if your foot caused you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown in hell. What, summarize this, he's saying it would better, it's better to be crippled headed to heaven than functioning fully with all of your body parts headed to hell. Now, what is he, what is he addressing here? Again, it is our pride. But, but I want these verses to settle in our hearts. Because first of all, Jesus is saying there must be a radical war against sin in your life. We must avoid sin at all cost. The Christian does not assume sin. You know, we're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. The Christian doesn't excuse sin. Things like, I know it's sin, but. Jesus doesn't allow room for that. He's this serious about sin. You do whatever it takes to not sin. Avoid sin at all costs. War against it in every way. But here he's describing sin in a specific way to shake us. He's getting to the root of our sin. You see, sin begins in the heart. And it is the desire to be great. It is the desire actually to be God. That begins in our heart. I want to call the shots. I want to be king. And so then what do we do? From our heart's desire, we begin to work with our hands. And we begin to possess power. And we begin to reach for prestige. And we begin to build things that say, I'm great. I'm great. Look at all I have. Look at all I do. And Jesus says, if your hands are going to act on that sinful desire, cut them off. Make it impossible for you to act upon your pride. And with our feet, we set out to accomplish great things. We set out to go to great lengths with our feet, with our legs, to to accomplish great things. And Jesus says, if your feet are acting upon the desire of your heart to accomplish things to say you're great, to, to out of pride say you're Jesus, you might as well cut a foot off and make it impossible to do. That's how serious he is. Make sure that you avoid the sin of pride at all costs. Make sure you are unable to act upon it. 
points to the eyes here. The eyes are often described as the, the sin of the eyes are often described as the pride of life. Where you look at things in the world and you say, I got to have them. I desire that thing, the pride of life, the temporary things you see with your eyes and you desire. And then you go after them with your hands and your feet. He said, if you're going to act on your pride in that way, it'd be better to, he says, tear, pull out one of your eyes. Why? Because the sin of pride is what leads you to hell. The desire in your heart that you act upon, the sin to oppose Jesus' greatness is what sends you to hell. And Jesus says you should do everything within you to make it impossible for you to sin out of pride. For you to establish your greatness as opposed to mine. Now, this is so important for the disciples. Remember, they're the ones he's rebuking in this moment. And think of all of the great things that the disciples have done with their hands. Think of all the places they have gone with their feet. They have walked with Jesus Christ. Think of all the great things they have seen with their eyes. Power, signs, wonders. And now Jesus is saying, and you're going to do these same things. You're going to do these same things with your hands. You're going to, you're going to go to these same places with your feet. And you're going to see these same things that I've done with your eyes. You're going to have this power. And what he's telling them here is if any of this power and authority would cause you to think you're great, just don't do it. Don't do it. Stop it. And there is one standing there. In his hands are bags of money. Who has walked with Jesus and done the same thing Jesus has has done. And woe would Judas if he would have listened to this warning and said, oh, I'm done and repented and saw Jesus is great. We might put it this way today. You can be crippled, headed to heaven, making Jesus great or fully functioning, headed headed to hell, making yourself great. Jesus may put it this way to us today. If lifting your hands in worship or giving your money is done to make yourself great. Make it impossible today. Cast your hands to the side of your body so you can't lift them and call attention to yourself. Quit your job and go broke before you give money to me thinking you are paying your way to heaven. That's the way Jesus would say it to us today. It is a stern warning against pride. It would be better to make it impossible to make yourself great than dishonor Jesus and go to hell thinking you're great. If by your feet you think you're great, you go to church, you go to the mission field for your greatness. Look how great I am. I'm at church today. Look at the great lengths I will go for Jesus. And if you are doing that to hold it up to God and say, look how great I am. If you are doing it to compete with Jesus for greatness, Jesus would say you need to break your legs and get arrested. So you can't go anywhere else thinking you're great. Lock yourself up. It'd be better than to steal Jesus' glory and go to hell thinking you're great. 
And one of the problems we have in our culture right now is on our phone, with our eyes, we constantly peruse our greatness. And we make ourselves great. And so Jesus would say to you today, if you look down at your phone and you see greatness, you just peruse my little Insta and Facebook. Just look at it. I am such a great, humble person. I'm so meek and mild. And you look down and you see greatness. What Jesus would say to you today is turn that light on your iPhone around and put it in your eye until you are blind so you can no longer see your greatness. Here's the point. Jesus is being so graphic and so intent here to warn against pride. Why? Because he doesn't want us to go to hell trusting in ourselves. It's a warning. It's His grace and His mercy. And He says to you and me today, make it absolutely impossible. Make it impossible where it cannot happen. It is impossible for you to make it about you. Make it impossible for that to happen in your life. Don't just say, I struggle with this, I struggle with that. No, make it impossible. What are, you, what are you willing to do to make it impossible for you to make yourself great? You willing to get out of the spotlight? You willing to get off the stage? What are you willing to do to say, I can't be great? What are you willing to do to say, I must believe in Jesus, not me, not my hands, not my feet, not my eyes, not what I think and see about myself? Now, this isn't a call to do nothing. Because some of you are so prideful, that's what you're about to do. You're about to say, well, I can't do anything for Jesus. I shouldn't do anything for Jesus. I may have mixed motives. That's not the point. The point is to have an intentional, serious examination always in your heart of, is this about me? Is this about my glory? And to be intent on surgically removing any greatness from your heart at all times. Making sure you are in constant prayer before God. Is this about me? This can't be about me. I cannot make it about me. What is the point of this? Jesus saying, make it about me. It's not to do nothing. It's to do everything for the glory of Jesus. And to make sure you're intent on that. If there's anything that's going to make it about you, stop it. And this is why accountability in your life is so important. You see my pride when I can't see it. That's the thing about pride, right? You're so prideful, you'll never think you're prideful. You have to have other people who are holding the light into your life and it sometimes are reaching down and helping you guide the knife as you cut the pride out. You've got to have other people say, no, you think you're great in this area. And you're a selfish jerk. Would you shut up? If you don't have people like that in your life, I, don't, I personally don't believe you can follow Jesus. Because you're going to walk around thinking you are awesome. And you have to have accountability. And the person who is not willing to open themselves up to that and ask the question, 
Do you think I'm making this about me or Jesus? Because sometimes we're so prideful, we, we never think we make it about Jesus. But you've got to have other people to help you out in that way, to lead you in repent, confession and repentance of sin. Do you realize today I can preach a, a sermon on hell and be prideful about it? I put out this morning on Facebook the passage that I'm preaching and just pray for me. I was overwhelmed this morning that I'm preaching this. And I started perusing through the comments and people talking about how great I am. And I said, whoa, God, this, you can't do this to me before. I, that, that is a no, that's not right. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome sermon. You you know, and you can go read the comments for yourself. And I had to, on my phone this morning, delete Facebook. So I would not look at the notifications before this sermon. I'll look at them after. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, though. You had, But in my own heart, I was like, wow, this is the way it happens. And we have to be careful and we should encourage and support and point out ways in which we're making it about Jesus. But personally, we have to be careful. Why? Verse 48. This is what hell's like. This is where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Here he quotes from Isaiah. And the term used for hell is Gehenna, which is to remind us of the valley of Hinnon. Now, this was a place where children were sacrificed to the idol of Molech. And this is where they were tossed. Later on, this became just a valley of death, this place, Gehenna. And dead bodies were left there to rot. And then later, this became a sewage dump outside of Jerusalem. And you could smell the refuse. And so Jesus points to this place that is often used to describe what hell is like. It is a place, he says here, where their worm or the maggots do not die. What that means is death never ends. And there are constant maggots feasting upon death. This is the picture Jesus wants us to have of hell. And then he says the fire, just like you smell the sewage... Constant smoldering fire of trash is never quenched in hell. Hell is the eternal valley where death is always feasting. Hell is the eternal valley where there is always fire burning the uncleaned. What is unclean and who are the unclean? They suffer eternity in hell. And he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. What does salt do? It preserves, it keeps. And he says here in hell, fire will be what keeps. It will be constant. It will preserve what is going on in hell forever. Hell will be seasoned with fire. Eternal torment. And I want to take just a moment and point out What the Scripture teaches us about hell, I think it is so important for us to understand this. Because if we believe what the Bible says, we believe what the Bible says. 
And the Bible talks about hell a lot. Jesus actually talks about hell more than anyone in the New Testament. Hell is real. Point one. Hell is real. You see it. You smell it. You feel it. You hear it. In Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, the final hell, the lake of fire. Hell is an eternal experience. Again, the maggots do not die. The fire is not quenched. Matthew 13, 50, Jesus says in torment, conscious torment, hell will be an eternal experience. Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Hell is just. It is the right punishment and justice for sin. God told Adam... If you sin, you will surely die. In Romans, we read the wages of sin is death, and it means to be separated from God. What that means is to be separated from God's goodness and life forever, which is torment in judgment. God will willfully, intentionally separate himself from those who are in hell forever. It is not as though God is not necessarily present in hell because his justice is present in hell. It is his life and his goodness that will not be in hell. And you will experience the torment of having no life or goodness with God. And because sin is infinite, this justice in hell is infinite. Because the sin of rejection of eternal life in Jesus is eternal, hell is eternal. Second Thessalonians chapter one, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not go God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They will endure his justice forever. That's hell. Sobering, isn't it? Let it set. Should make us weep. There are people in our lives. Who are headed to hell. What does that do? We don't take hell seriously because we don't take our sin seriously. And we don't tell other people about hell, not because we love them so much. It's because we don't love them very much. Do we really believe it? Jesus would say to you today, if your pride says, I can't believe that, then it would be better for you to... Never open your Bible again. That's scary. 
I want you to believe this is real, not to scare you. But so that you might believe and trust in Jesus and follow after Him. If you're scared, it's a good place to start. So, what does He tell His disciples? His point here is, hell is this real? Don't think you're great, man. Don't, don't even give in to your pride. Because that's where people who oppose me end up. And so He says, verse 50, salt is good. We had the salt, the fire that is the salt of hell. But He says, now, now remember, salt is good. I've called you to be salt and light. And He says, salt preserves. It, it is used to describe the redemptive presence of the church in the world. Salt is good and the church is to be salt and light, meaning we are to preserve life and goodness in the world. Why? Preaching the gospel, making Jesus great. That's how we become the salt of the world. Salt and light in the world is we make Jesus great. We make the world better. He says, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? If you lose your purpose in making Jesus great, you make yourself great Why in the world do you even exist? Remember, hell is real. Don't lose your purpose, church. Hell is real. Don't think you're great. Make sure you're making Jesus great because hell is real. And anyone who thinks they're great instead of Jesus ends up there. And the world needs the salt of the gospel. So don't lose your purpose. Have this salt in you. And be at peace with one another. What he's saying here is stop arguing about who is the greatest and remember your purpose. People are headed to hell. Spread the salt of the gospel. His point here is if hell is real, the church has no business fighting over who's the greatest. If we're struck by the sober reality that hell is real, why are we standing around talking about who's best? Why would you even do that? Hell is an eternal statement that only Jesus is great. And the church must be salt that warns and and preserves goodness in the world by warning hell is real. And we do so by making Jesus great now. You don't want to go to the judgment that will declare only Jesus is great. Make Him great now. And if we're not doing that, why do we exist? Why do we even exist He says, don't lose your purpose to bring the goodness of the gospel in the world. Church, arguing over greatness has lost its saltiness and it has become corrupt and sour. And it is to be it is waiting to be cast on the dung hill of smoldering eternal fire. That's a church that's not warning about hell. It's useless. And it needs to be burned up itself. Hell is for those who choose to make themselves great, not Jesus. And one of the applications here is don't bring your hell into church. You think you're great. You're warring with God who says, no, Jesus is great. And he is in an eternal war against such sin. And this war you have with God, don't bring it into church trying to make yourself great. No, you need to be salt and light in the church. Don't be making yourself great. That's when we lose our purpose because we're given over to your purpose to make yourself great. And church becomes hellish. 
Don't come into church competing for the greatness of Jesus Christ. No, we're going to serve my coffee because my coffee is great. And we're going to do my building plan because my plan is great. My BFG is great. That's not a war with other people. You're in a war with God. And you're coming to his church trying to make yourself great. And you make everybody miserable. Church becomes hellish when you forget your salt. And you bring fire to church. Heaven, though, is for those who surrender to Jesus' greatness. And the church becomes heavenly when we are at peace with making Jesus great. He says, be at peace with one another. Have the salt among you. But if y'all didn't know this, there will be no competition in heaven about who is the greatest. There's not. Who's got the greatest role? Who preaches the greatest sermons? Who's got the greatest leadership skills? Who had the best ministry while we were on planet Earth? That's not going to happen. We're just going to be, Jesus, you're great. What Jesus says here is have that salt in the church now. That's how you bring peace to the church now as we walk around and we're okay. We're saying Jesus is first. I'm getting to the back. No, no, no. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to throw you to the front. I'm getting to the back because I don't want this to be about me. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't turn around and look at me. Look at Jesus. He's first. Let's push everybody to Jesus. And if that's the way you act in the church, you're going to have peace with one another. Because you're going to be pushing everybody in front of you. You outdo one another in pointing to Jesus. That means you outdo one another in honoring one another. The salt you bring to church is refreshing. Because you're looking at others saying, Man, Jesus is doing a lot of good things in your life and I am so thankful. I'm so thankful to be your friend and see everything that Jesus is doing in your life. That's salt. You know what's hell for people in church? I wish you would do it my way. I can't believe you didn't do it my way. Would you just listen to me? There's fire and there's salt. What are you bringing to church? This is who the church is to be. Salt in the world. Warning people of hell. Being heaven on earth and not hellish. But I do have a question for you today. Why would a good God send anyone to hell? It's an access question we get sometimes. I can answer the question straightforward, simplistically. Why would a good God send anyone to hell? Here's the answer. Because He loves the greatness of Jesus more than anything. That's why. He created all things to show off Jesus' greatness. It's all about Jesus. You can't oppose that. The punishment for opposing it is hell. And guess what? At the center of God's plans to make Jesus great is the gospel. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross where Jesus endures eternal wrath and justice for us. Eternal hell on the cross. God does that to say, look how great He is. He's the only one who can pay for your sin. 
And, and Jesus lives a perfect life in your place. It is to say Jesus is great. You can't live a perfect life. You're not right. You have to look to His greatness. Everything God does is to point to Jesus' greatness. He raised Him from the dead and has given Him an eternal kingdom where His greatness will be spotlighted forever. And when you reject Him, you say, I don't want to make Jesus great now or forever. But God will make Jesus great in your judgment forever. You know how scary that is? So the question is not why would God send anyone to hell? It's why would you go to hell? Why would you, why would you choose hell today? Why? It makes no sense. It's stupid. It's foolish. It makes no sense. But I can answer it this way. It's because you choose greatness, self-greatness, over everything that's great about Jesus. You see, in the gospel, God, when you believe in Jesus, He gives you everything that He loves about Jesus. It becomes true of you. You become sinless. You become perfect. You become righteous. And He loves you the way He loves His Son. He gives you everything He loves about Jesus. But you would rather have everything you love about yourself. That's why we choose hell. Instead of having everything God loves about Jesus, we would stand before God with everything we love about ourselves. And that competing Savior will be crushed. You see, that's the whole point here. With our hands, with our feet, and with our eyes, we, compete, we create a competing Savior. And you can either crush and amputate that Savior now, or God will do it forever. That's the choice. And the best thing that could happen to you today is you feel the weight of your sin. You, you feel the weight of the ways in which you have sought to make yourself great, even great in doing a lot of great things. You have a great resume of all the things you've even done in the name of Jesus. But with your hands, you're holding it up to God. And, and Jesus would say today, before you try to push your sin and the weight of sin, the eternal judgment, the eternal hell that's coming down on you, before you try to take your sin and, 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 and hold it off, say, no, you need to cut those prideful hands off and don't even try it because you can't. Before you with your feet try to outrun your sin and outrun hell to make it to heaven, you, you might as well cut your feet off. And before leaving today and looking in your rearview mirror as you pull out of the parking lot and looking into the eyes of one where you say, there, you're, you're not that bad. Whew. That was hard to listen to, but I don't think you're that bad. Before you do that, you should poke out one of your eyes so you can't do it. That's how graphic Jesus is here. Cut off your hands, your leg, poke out your eyes, make it impossible for you to work to get to heaven. Confess, repent, and say today, I can't. Poke out the eyes of your greatness and make it impossible to see anything other than Jesus. The one whose hands and feet were pierced. The one whose eyes were matted with blood. 
the one who endured and was salted with the fire of wrath that was meant for you. And the only one standing at the right hand of God. Feet, hands pierced. And eyes that will come again in flaming fire. Trust Him today. Believe in Him. Hope in Him. It would be better to be spiritual amputees bleeding out today in repentance and having no choice but to allow Jesus to carry you to heaven by trusting in His life and death. I pray you would do that today.